ahead, let's have a seat. We'll grab our Bibles. We had a little extra fellowship time this morning, but hope we had a chance to say hello to someone. And I want to go ahead and read for us this morning. As we, as we come to Christmas each year, um, it's this thing that we have to be careful about is to never look at Christmas and kind of say, oh, why are we always stuck with the same text? It's important for us to come back to Christmas each year to remind ourselves, to, to immerse ourselves in this one truth that Christmas is first and foremost about God's plan to rescue the world. So what I wanted to do this year is I wanted to read from one of my favorite Bibles and I figured I would stick it up there for you. But this is the Jesus Storybook Bible. If you have trouble sometimes going through, say, uh, reading the Bible, I encourage you. I can't tell you how many friends have, you know, when they were first trying to get into God's Word, we gave them a copy of this Jesus Storybook Bible. And they're like, I sat down and I read the entire thing in one night. Caitlin just gave it to one of her friends. And she said this exact same thing. She said, I sat down. I wanted just to read one or two pages. I read the whole thing in one night. And in fact, one of my friends, it was really cute because um, she's our neighbor. And we gave her that, the Jesus Storybook Bible. And she sat down and she read through the whole thing in one night. And she said to her husband the next morning, she's like, she's like, this is so great. They should make one of these for like for grown-ups. And and he's like they do. It's called the Bible. And uh so but there's just this this great way for us to to come to God's word and sometimes to hear it in a fresh way. Uh so I want to read to you the book of Isaiah. So we're going to study the book the whole book of Isaiah. Uh there's only 50 something chapters, so we should be done. But about tomorrow morning so you can be ready for presents and we'll be all good right all right let's let's jump into this thing uh let me go ahead and read this this again from the jesus storybook bible about the book of isaiah it's called operation no more tears do you know what your name means well there once was a man called isaiah and his name meant god to the rescue now that might sound a little like a like a bit of a funny name to you but it was just the right name for Isaiah because God had a special job for Isaiah. You see, Isaiah's job was to listen to God and then tell people what he heard. Now, God let Isaiah know a secret. God was going to mend his broken world. He showed Isaiah his secret rescue plan. He called it Operation No More Tears. This is the message that God gave Isaiah. It was like a letter that God wrote to his children. Dear little flock, you're all wandering away from me like sheep in an open field. You've always been running away from me. And now you're lost and you can't find your way back. But I can't stop loving you. I will come to find you. So I am sending you a shepherd to look after you and to love you to carry you home to me. You've been stumbling around like people in a dark room, but into the darkness a bright light will shine. It will chase away all the shadows like sunshine. A little baby will be born, a royal son. His mommy will be a young girl who doesn't have a husband. His name will be Emmanuel, which means God 
has come to live with us. He is one of King David's children's children's children, the Prince of Peace. Yes, someone is going to come and rescue you, but he won't be who anyone expects. He'll be a, he'll be a king, but he won't live in a palace. He won't have lots of money. He'll be poor. And he'll be a servant. But this king will heal the whole world. He'll be our hero. He'll fight for his people and rescue them from their enemies. But he won't have big armies. He won't fight with swords. He'll make the blind see and he'll make the lame leap like a deer. He'll make everything the way it was always meant to be. But people will hate him and they won't listen to him. He'll be like a lamb. He'll suffer and he'll die. It's the secret rescue plan that we made from before the beginning of the world. And it's the only way to get you back. But he won't stay dead. I will make him alive again. And one day when he comes back to rule forever, the mountains and the trees will dance and sing for joy. The earth will shout out loud. His fame will fill the whole earth as the waters cover the sea. Everything sad will come untrue. Even death is going to die. And he will wipe away every tear from every eye. Yes, the rescuer will come. Look for him. Watch for him. Wait for him. He will come. I promise. Poor Isaiah. He read God's letter over and over to God's people, but no one listened to him at all. Ever. They didn't want to hear God's promise. They didn't believe it. Does it sound maybe too good to be true? A story that uh, ends happily ever after? Well, it does sound like a fairy tale, doesn't it? And as anyone will quickly tell you, fairy tales, they're not true. Or are they? So, this is the word of the Lord. In a slightly different form. What I want to do today is I just want to remind us about the importance of Christmas, why we need to think about Christmas. Um, I want to remind us of this. Now, again, Isaiah has 56 chapters. And really, without, you know, there's four chapters that are right in the middle. Other than that, the entire book is just made up of prophecies and oracles, oracles. Chapters 1 through 35 have a lot of prophecy and poetry about God and his expression towards his people. Chapter 36 through 39 is this amazing historical event that flows right in the center of the book. And then the poetry starts back up again. And uh, we get to see in chapters 40 through 66 um, this, this other picture. And the book is interesting because it's mostly concerned with who God is. It speaks very little, maybe about how much we love God. And it speaks very much about who God is and what God does. 
So it's an important book for us. I think it's also important for us to recognize that the book was written right around 750 to 700 B.C. So all of these uh, prophecies, all these words came in at least 700 years before Jesus. So let me go ahead and let me pray for us. And then we're going to take a look at this just to remind ourselves about the prophet Isaiah. Father, today, would you just work with us? Would you encourage us? Would you help us? Would you give us receptive hearts to see why Christmas is not about the presents or whether or not um, they're all wrapped up and ready under the tree or whether we need to run out to L.O. Bean a little bit later on today to get our shopping done? God, that Christmas is not about the cookies or the food that we're going to cook. It's not about whether there's snow on the ground. God, those are not the primary important things. Lord, would you help us to be able to just fix our eyes on Jesus? Lord, would you help us to find our, our soul's joy in all that Jesus is for us? Would you remind us about these things today? God, that's what we want. Help us not to be like some of the people that Isaiah spoke of. Instead, help us to be people who love you because you've done so much for us. We love you. We ask for your help today, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why Christmas? Christmas, for a lot of people, is a time of hope. We kind of hope that maybe we'll get some presents. Maybe we hope that we'll get the thing that we want. Maybe we hope that we'll finally get the kind of recognition in our relationship that our, you know, maybe that's that spouse or, or, or someone else will finally really appreciate us for, for who we are. Maybe we hope that a new relationship will kick up this Christmas and we'll get to meet somebody and that, you know, wow, that'll really, because like half these Hallmark movies, I think that's probably what they're probably about. I've never watched them, but that's what I hear. So, you know, there's, there's people who are hoping for that. There's people who are hoping maybe that they bought their jewelry at Springer's and they're hoping that we get six inches of snow and maybe they'll get that jewelry for free and they're gamblers, they like this idea, they're going to see if maybe they can make that thing pay off for them. There's some of us that are hoping that, you know, maybe there's some food that we can eat that will be just some of our favorites. There's lots of things that we hope for. But Isaiah is a helpful picture. The reason I want to just kind of cover the book this morning is it's going to remind us why we're going to gather tonight and what the importance is for tomorrow as we really celebrate Christmas. A few things that I want us to be able to see about the book, that this message that Isaiah has brought. It's interesting, Isaiah is actually there through five different kings. This is actually going to bump up pretty close to where Daniel is. Uh, so we're going to see some kind of overlap in, in some of these places here. But Isaiah is a major prophet because of the size of the book. That's really how the de delineation comes. And as he's going to go ahead and preach, there's this really important kind of message that's going to come. It's important for us to understand, be reminded about what the message is for the book of Isaiah, because that's what's going to shape us even as we come to Christmas. I love Isaiah because it's a great book for us to get to meditate on during the holiday season. It's a place that reminds us about these truths of what God's going to do and how God's going to work. 
You know, we read in Isaiah chapter 9 that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light and those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. And then we drop down to verse 6 and it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. How does that compare to what Daniel talked about, about with the stone? Right? That this, this stone that cast through this, this idol and landed and turned in this mountain until this mountain filled the whole world. And the, the, the understanding of that prophecy was that God was going to start a whole new kingdom. And of that kingdom, there would be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, he will establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So Christmas is more than just cute little baby donkeys and eight-pound baby Jesus with a golden fleece diaper, right, laying there in, in, in the stable. Christmas is so much more than that. What we're remembering is that Christmas is first and foremost about God's rescue plan for the world. And that's what I liked about the Jesus Storybook Bible. Now, let's just give a couple things that we need to know about this. First, one of the things that we need to know as you come to the book of Isaiah is just that one of the key themes of the book is rebellion. Here you have people who know God. Here you have people who live in God's country, if you want to call it that. Jerusalem. Here you have Judah. Here you have people who their whole existence, they can go back and they can see God at work in there. And yet, what has happened, even though they have all of that history, even though they understand God's word, even though, as we'll see in a little bit, they go to church They are active in kind of their faith. Even though you have all of these things, the bottom line is that, like the Jesus Storybook Bible said, when they heard from God, they didn't care. Rebellion was the key thing. So in chapter 1, verse 21, so right in the very kickoff of the book, right? See how the faithful city has become a harlot. She once was full of justice. Righteousness used to dwell in her, but now they're murderers. God uses Isaiah to really pronounce a condemnation against God's people. We live in a culture today that probably was very similar to theirs, where there's a religious kind of a a force. People understand a lot of these types of things. But most people go off what they kind of say, this is what I think God would think, rather than going off of what God says. So people in Jerusalem at this point would say, hey, God likes us, God loves us. He's given us this fantastic country. He's prospered us. We should have um, long-term success. But God's word to them are very different. In chapter 5, he looks at them and he calls them a vineyard. And he says, even though he planted them, now that vineyard, it only brings bad fruit. God looked for justice, but he saw bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but he heard cries of distress in in chapter 5, verse 7. In chapter 48, the Lord said to them, Well do I know how treacherous you are. You have been called a rebel from birth. 
In chapter 59, Isaiah tells the people, your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And then a couple verses later, he says this, their feet rush into sin. They're swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are evil thoughts. Ruin and destruction mark their ways. The way of peace they do not know. There's no justice in their paths. They have turned them into crooked roads. No one who walks them will know peace. Guys, for a very religious, God-fearing country, God's assessment of them is far from what they assumed it would be. You can understand why people would sit there and say, Isaiah, I don't like your preaching. I don't want to listen to you. But Isaiah's not saying his opinion. Isaiah's not saying what he thinks. Isaiah is saying, this is what God says. And I know that for some of us in, in our country, in our, our station, it's easy for us to say, you know what? God is a God of love. But a half-truth presented as the whole truth is what? It's a whole lie. If we simply come and say, wow, God just loves you. God just thinks that you are the greatest. Then we are not being truthful with ourselves. Now we realize on a Christmas Sunday morning that a lot of people will come and and people who genuinely want to know God, people who really want to be in touch with God. As we've gone through Daniel, I've really enjoyed getting to know Nebuchadnezzar better because what I see in him is somebody where God is working in his life. God is calling to him. God is drawing him. And I would be no friend of Nebuchadnezzar's, just as I would be no friend of yours, if we didn't at least identify that, yes, God loves you, But God does not look at us and simply say, oh, you're pretty good. It'd be no friend to you if we didn't stop and say, this is the danger. And in fact, the very first verses of the book, God says this, Hear, O heavens, Listen, O earth. In fact, God is essentially calling the mountains together, calling the landscape together to be kind of the jury at a trial. He says, because the Lord has spoken, I reared children, I brought them up, but they've rebelled against me. Now the ox knows his master, the donkey knows his manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand Ah, sinful nation, a people loaded with guilt, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They've forsaken the Lord. They've spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on Him. So what does this kind of rebellion look like? What does this flow out of? Well, it simply flows out of the idea that they turned their back on God and turned their hope somewhere else. So what does rebellion look like? Well, he gives a couple examples here in Isaiah. First, one of the things that you get to see as you go through the book is they turn to other foreign kings. They thought, you know what? We need help. We're this tiny little country. We could easily be overthrown. So first, uh, when the Assyrians were coming up, they turned to Egypt and they said, hey, can you save us? And then when that didn't work out so well, they turned to Assyria and said, hey, can you help us? Can you protect us? And then when that didn't work out, they turned to Babylon and they said, hey, can you protect us? 
But instead of turning to God, what they did was they said, we have got to come up with a system that's going to protect us. But it wasn't just that they protected in these, these other kings. They didn't just trust these other kings. They also trusted in those kings' gods. There are times where they sat there and said, okay, well, the king can't save us. This country can't save us. But you know what? That's an interesting religious thought. They've got a fresh new take on the world. And their God must be as good as our God. At one point, God said in chapter 2, verse 8, their land is full of idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their fingers have made. Now, it's important for us to understand, because we might look at it and go, you know what, in, in the USA today, we don't have idols. We don't set up these, you know, these, these things in our homes. We don't, we don't have these statues. We don't do that. But anything that rivals our, our, um, our heart's attention to God, anything to which we put our trust in, when we're in fear, where do we turn? That is an idol to us. In fact, idolatry is one of the major themes of the Scriptures. And what people did was they sat there and said, we have got to find something supernatural that can help us. Now, you also have people who are going to do the exact opposite, right? They're going to say, hey, religion, that's the opiate of the masses. We've got to turn away from all that kind of stuff. We are scientists. We are intelligent people now. We just need science, and science can lead us away from all this other junk. That's just leftovers. We need the real good stuff. So they trusted in themselves. But again, God says that this is sin. Listen to uh, chapter 29, verses 10 through 16. The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts, their hearts are far from me. Their worship is made up only of rules that were taught by men. Therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, who sees us? Who's going to know? You shall turn these things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what form uh, say to him who formed it, he didn't make me? Can the pot say to the potter, he knows nothing? What I want us to see is when he's talking about this rebellion, it comes about who do they trust? Who is it that they're going to trust the most in? Maybe, maybe these aren't some of the ones that we would trust in, but maybe it's the idea that my bank, my bank is going to save my life because I've got money. Or, or, or maybe it's someone else who sits there and goes, Bitcoin. You know, if I could just get in the Bitcoin market, then I could really save my life. I would make some money. And somebody else who sits there and says, I'm not so crazy like you guys. You're all just preoccupied with money. All I need is love. And if I could just have that love of this one special person, my life would be fine. We could live off love. We don't need any money like you guys. That's, what, that's what's bad. We want to live off of love. And somebody else might sit there and say, man, you know, it's, it's, it's a new experience. Another person might say control. Another person says that the world would just run the way that I wanted it to. The world would be perfect. All of these different things that go into our lives are all expressions that are not expressions of trusting God. 
That's what God calls rebellion. And it's important for us because as we come to Christmas, we're remembering that Jesus didn't come into the world simply to experience what it's like to be a baby. God did not come to the world because he just wanted to visit. God didn't come to the world because he said, I just want to be able to give you an experience with me. If we're not able to see and to recognize that God came to the world, Jesus was born as a child because of the rebellion of human hearts, we're going to miss the purpose of Christmas. Christmas becomes a nice decoration, but not a rescue plan. And Isaiah is pointing that out to God's people. Why would God need to rescue his people? Because in God's holiness, there's going to have to be a payment. Because in God's perfect holiness, that rebellion must be dealt with. God, in the book of Isaiah, tells them that there was a day of judgment that would come upon not only these other nations, but upon his own people. And the book is really just filled with God not just saying, wow, I love you and I just care about you. The book is actually filled with all of these statements about God's judgment about nation after nation and their sin. If you read through the book of Isaiah, you can't be caught off guard by that. You have to recognize that God says there's a perfect standard of holiness. And when that is broken, there must be a payment for that. So Isaiah says in, verse, in uh, chapter 34, verse 8, the Lord has a day of vengeance. Listen to these words again, because... Without these, we won't be able to see the world properly. Isaiah 24, 1 through 3. See, the Lord is going to lay waste the earth and devastate it. He will ruin its face and scatter its inhabitants. It will be the same for priest as for the people, for master as for a servant, for mistress as for her maid, for seller as for borrower, uh, for buyer, for borrower as for lender, for debtor as for creditor. The earth will be completely laid waste and totally plundered. The Lord has spoken this word. So there is a big problem. Because of this rebellion, there must be something to set this right. And that is God's judgment. And that is God's justice. And because God only does what is good and right and perfect, it means that this judgment, this justice, this uh, fire that would fall onto the earth flows out of a perfect kind of love. But they don't only trust God here because he's the one who brings justice and judgment. They're also called on to believe that God would bring deliverance and salvation. And isn't that what the picture of, of Christmas is? The idea that we remember is there's this backdrop of judgment. There's this reality that all of us will face God. And even though we think, you know what, I'm a pretty good person, God is going to say, no, these are the things that you have done, and that must be accounted for. 
But there has to be rescue. So what's this great rescue? Well, the great rescue is the hope and trust that God would send a Savior, a Messiah. It becomes clear that God's great plan for His people and the world all points to one key person. Listen to Isaiah 28, verse 16, because it's so similar to what we saw in Daniel. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation, and the one who trusts in it will never be dismayed. Throughout the entire book, Isaiah keeps calling people to look for this Messiah. Now, again, the word Messiah typically is just kind of this anointed one type of word. But he's calling them to look for the Messiah. And that's a single person. In uh, chapter 32, verse 1, a king will reign in righteousness and rulers will, and a ruler will rule with justice. And like we read, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government, and of peace, there will be no end. Um, he will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time and forever. Indeed, this one called Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God would have the Spirit of God resting on him in a very special way. So the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So Isaiah has called them then to this one solution. And this one solution is a person. It's not just this kind of concept. In other words, it's not just saying, hey, you should just trust that God's going to save you someday. God doesn't approach it this way. God comes in a very personal, very real very hands-on setting. And this servant, this Messiah, is going to be not just a person, but he's going to be a servant. And that servant is going to listen perfectly to God. But it's also predicted in Isaiah that he's going to suffer and he's going to be rejected. Why? So that he can pay the price for our sins. I want you to just recognize this. Isaiah presents God in a very unique way. He wants us to see that God is personal and that God is passionate. He's tenacious in his call to rescue the world. The reason that we celebrate Christmas is because of God's patient, passionate, tenacious nature to rescue people. God made us, it means he knows our hurts. He knows our pains. He knows our loves. He knows everything about us, even our rebellion and sin. He's holy, so he had to devise a way to let that love come to unholy people and yet not give up his holiness. So sometimes we call it the divine dilemma. How can a perfectly holy God save people who are not perfectly holy and bring them to his presence? To, To bring someone who is not perfectly holy into the presence of a holy God does what to them? 
destroys them. It destroys them. Something has to make us holy so we can be in the presence of God. So what would God do? How could He possibly save us without compromising? Well, in Jesus, God became man. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. And He took on Himself the sins of all of those who would ever repent and believe in Him. In the cross of Jesus, the requirement of God's holiness and of God's love were both satisfied so that sinners can actually be forgiven. So I guess I just wonder this this morning. Do you want the forgiveness of God? Have you experienced the forgiveness of God? Christmas is about the forgiveness of God. It's too short for us to look and see a cute little baby in a manger with lambs and donkeys and and all these things around him if we don't see that this purpose was to come to die to be able to make men and women holy, to save them. So here's part of the good news for us. Are you sick? And, are you sick? Are you sinful? If you say yes, then you're in good company. Then you are right there. And the whole calling then is to simply say, repent of trusting in your plans. Repent of trusting in some other God. Repent of hoping that your whole life will be full once you can finally get this present this Christmas. Repent of trying to find our life somewhere else and instead turn to Jesus. That's what Christmas is about. If we come to this baby, this servant, this Messiah, this one that came from God, that one will take away our sins And then we know one day we'll come back and He will reign victoriously as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So we see it in Isaiah in chapter 66, verse 2. It says, this is the one that I esteem. The one who's humble. The one who's contrite in spirit. The one who trembles at my word. Come now, all who are thirsty. Come to the waters, you who have no money. Come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on things that won't satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what's good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. That's the invitation. That's the calling of what God is calling to us in that manger. That's why we celebrate. That's why we sing. That's why we go back to this passage time and time again. That's why year after year after year we preach from the same passages because we know that our human tendency is what? To forget. To walk away. To turn away. To rebel. We need to keep coming back to the stable. I want to just remind you this book is far more about God's kind of tenacious concern 
for our safety through judgment and his love for people than it is about our love for God. The book describes human sinfulness and God's faithfulness and God's holiness and God's justice. But what do we tend to do? We tend to focus on all that I've done for God. How big of a deal I've made about God. So often what we sing about and what we talk about tends to focus on how I think about God. The book of Isaiah is important for us at Christmas because it reminds us to say, instead of me thinking, this is what I think God thinks of me, I need to be honest and I need to be transparent and I need to look and see what is it that God says about me. Now that's not always the most fun. In other words, we could have a warm and fuzzy Christmas morning here. You know, we could, we could really focus on, on some different aspects. And I realize that today brings a little bit more of a challenge. But that challenge, that gratefulness for our salvation, that willingness to admit, that's me. I'm the person with that heart that resists God. I'm the one who is full of sin. I'm the one who needs a Savior. That's what fuels great joy during the Christmas time. And when we see someone who has saved us and rescued us and done all of these things for us, when we can admit, wow, I brought nothing to the table. Like we read, you know, uh, I can come and buy milk without food. I can come and have supplied for me what I couldn't do for myself. When I get to that point, that makes me someone who is able then to be gracious to others as well. So that's our great hope. That's our great life. That's why we come together today. So let's enjoy manger scenes. Let's enjoy Christmas carols. Let's remember all these things. But let's also be willing to keep our hearts open, to be responsive to God. So I guess that's the question have you come to the point in your life where you've responded to God that way? Is Christmas more than just finding a parking space at the mall? Instead, do we find our great hope in all that Jesus is for us? Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for, again, the hope that you give to us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for rescuing us from our sin, from our brokenness. Thank you that... Um, you're willing to be honest with us, to tell us the condition of our heart, and then be able to help heal that heart, not because of our work, but because of your sacrifice. This Christmas, would you allow us again not to be focused just on presence or on presentation? Would you, would you help us to be a grateful people who worship you more? We love you and we trust you and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.